When in your life have you most needed assurance? Not insurance, but assurance. The day that my husband Jim and I were getting married, there was some one errand left to be run. I needed to go to Goldsmith's department store, and for some reason, my father was elected as the chauffeur for that job, for the last-minute errand with the nervous 22-year-old bride. When we pulled into the parking lot off of Poplar and Perkins, for a moment we sat there in stillness and quiet. How I asked my father a question, I don't remember. And I don't think that I could have articulated it this way then. But intuitively, I knew that I needed some assurance. Assurance that this huge leap that I was taking that night to be married was the right leap. Assurance that moving to Georgia into a previously condemned, partially renovated home was the right step. Assurance that working remotely in orthopedic marketing would work out in the days of typewriters before desktops and even before cell phones. And I looked to my father for that assurance, for a word to rise out of that silence, sitting together in his Oldsmobile. I couldn't see into the future, and in those last hours, I was afraid. And for me, when fear grabs me, it grabs me in my gut. And so I just looked at my father, and I said, <laughs> Daddy, are you sure? And my father said, Annie, you simply have to trust and believe. The commitment you are making tonight is not of your making. Be faithful and trust, and all will be well. My father gave me the gift of blessed assurance. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust and will not be afraid. The prophet Isaiah spoke to the people of Judah who had known the terror of living through exile as the gathered people of God, of sensing God's anger for their turning away. And they also knew what it meant to trust and to not be afraid of a God who rescues, a God who saves, and they knew the privilege of singing praises to the Lord. The prophet Isaiah hearkens the songs of Moses and Miriam from Exodus 15, pursued by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, and in great fear, the Israelites cried out to God, and they even complained to Moses saying, did you take us out of Egypt just so that we could die in this wilderness? And Moses encourages those Israelites saying, 
do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. The people cross over into safety, and they are assured. Moses sings, the Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. And Miriam dances and she sings, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The people sing praise. The church is and has been studying God's saving actions through time. Maybe you know Michelangelo's fresco, The Last Judgment, which covers the entire altar wall in the Sistine Chapel. The fresco depicts his imagination about God's saving work. Pope Clement commissioned the work from his deathbed, and the artist met with critique for his early images of unclothed figures and his radicalized description of the end times. But one way that we have been invited to think about God's saving work is through the work of artists. Artists help us to imagine God's saving work. Teachers help too. There's a Sunday school class at Idlewild that's studying eschatology, the doctrine of last things, the study of the ultimate destiny of humanity. I know that this class is studying such because when the worship and music committee met last Monday night, the flip chart from their Sunday school class, their notes stood open at the end of our table. And at the bottom of that flip chart were these words, life Everlasting begins now, and now is in all capital letters. Life everlasting begins now. It was like a silent but a true message to the worship and music committee and to us that it is our privilege to worship, that we might sing praise to God. Teachers, Faithful committee members and leaders help us to imagine God's saving work. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust and I will not be afraid. At Idlewild, we've been singing these words from Isaiah 12 as the sung response to the assurance of pardon and worship for the last seven weeks. So not only have we been studying, but we have been singing God's praises. Our song, in part, is like Michelangelo's fresco. We are artists. We are teachers, and we are singers. And the word that comes to mind for me about these words from Isaiah, which are also heard in Exodus, is assurance. So what does it mean to us, the people of God gathered here at 1750 Union Avenue, that we can be assured that it is God who saves us, God who teaches us to trust and to not be afraid? Looking a little further into the text, the scripture also teaches us that it will be with joy 
that we will draw water from the well of God's salvation. That water, God's saving water, is for everyone. That water is for those who know the fear of suffering water's absence and the challenges of being overwhelmed in water's destruction. Life can present drought and overwhelm. And as the people of God, we are called to trust in God's saving waters, that we will draw from God's overflowing well with joy, and that we will be open to God's new thing in our lives. The commitment we make to be a part of a community of faith as disciples truly and wholly is not of our making. We are to be faithful. We are to trust. And all will be well. We can whistle through our teeth that tune from the old gospel hymn, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is our story, Idlewild. We are a people who need a word of assurance, and that word comes from God. Be assured that God needs our energy and our enthusiasm in this house of faith. Be assured that there is a place here where our gifts will be valued. And be assured that we can make a difference by serving God here. Be assured that we are always welcome here because it is God who welcomes, it is God who strengthens, and it is God who saves. To God be all the glory, now and forever. Amen. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust and not be afraid. Uh, you've probably noticed in your bulletins a new heading following the sermon. It says response in ministry, which is sort of like a moment for mission. And it is that time when we as a congregation um, name the ways in which we have been touched and called by that word that has just been proclaimed. When we say, you know what, this is a living word and this is what we are going to do with it. So maybe we start today with that blessed assurance and the freedom that we find in that blessed assurance um, to have hard conversations minimally. So beginning next week on Christ the King Sunday and under the direction of the outreach leadership team and the adult ministries committee, we as a congregation are going to be beginning a several month congregation wide discernment process on the issue of immigration and what a faithful response from the church looks like. 
We're calling this process No Longer Strangers, which comes from the injunction in Deuteronomy to love the stranger as God loves the stranger, and the encouragement that in Ephesians, uh, that in Christ, we are no longer strangers. The impetus for this journey is one that we of course, are seeing all over the news and even close here to home the revelation that approximately 4,000 children have been separated from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border, the immigration customs enforcement raids on the poultry plants in Mississippi that have resulted in the arrest of 700 migrants, and the call, um, this isn't a hypothetical thing for Pastor Ann and I, this is a call uh, from colleagues, from our friends at Latino Memphis and Las Americas who belong to and serve communities that are feeling some real urgency in identifying now who their neighbors are and what their accompaniment and witness is going to look like. Of course, behind all of those examples are people, people whose names we might not know, but people who are known intimately by our God, people who bear God's image. When we talk about the immigration issue, we are talking about people who are immigrants, people who have made decisions out of necessity or fear or hope that most of us can scarcely imagine. So we begin there on Christ the King Sunday, the last day of this church calendar year, which is next week. It's a fitting place to begin because it is the day that we as a community acknowledge and celebrate the Lordship of Christ alone and place him at the center of our lives. We may come to this conversation with different viewpoints on immigration and on what just immigration policy looks like. And we also come confessing the same Lord and seeking to reflect his way of compassion and reconciliation in our world. So in that spirit, we will kick off this whole process by gathering for dinner and a screening of a documentary called Locked in a Box, which was produced by the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. It follows the stories of individuals held in the U.S. immigration detention system and those who follow or visit them through a visitation program. It is a short documentary that will leave us plenty of time for discussion as we ease our way into this process together. We'll meet for, six, we'll meet for dinner at six o'clock in Montgomery Hall, and we will conclude by 7.30. Following next Sunday's inaugural event, we will continue to let the wisdom of the liturgical year guide us. Uh, beginning with a more in-depth study of immigration in Advent. In Epiphany, we're going to visit a few different relevant sites in Memphis. We're going to have some field trips. In Lent, we will be taking a mission trip to the U.S.-Mexico border. 
In Easter, we will be discerning together a way forward, and on Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit and all the new things, or shortly thereafter, uh, the hope is that we will be ready to name and claim and begin a new ministry that comes alongside people who are immigrants in our midst. And there are many different forms that that ministry could take. So this is a process for everyone. It is for the person who wants to be involved from beginning to end. It's for the person who wants to kind of dip in and out, doing a little bit here and a little bit there. It's for the person who feels called to pray fervently as we do this together. There is a place for everyone, and it all begins next Sunday from 6 to 7.30 in Montgomery Hall. I encourage you to read about all of this in the backs of your bulletins and to sign up for everything on Realm and to join us next Sunday. Thank you.